56. Many times we talk about differences in generations, the generational differences, and things are a little bit different, are they not? Huh? Today we're going to talk about a similarity among multiple generations. We have a multi-generational and intergenerational church. Now what do we mean by that? Multi-generations, you look around and you see people from all different walks. You have some older folk and you have some young people. That's uh, multi-generation. But intergenerational means that we interact with one another. That we form a family of God. And there are multiple generations. The, the, the two passages we're going to look at today, we're actually going to name four different generations. I want you to see if you can pick up on them as we go, okay? We're going to talk about four different generations and a common need. That's the title of our, our uh, sermon today. A common need. It is about digging wells, basically. Jesus is at the well. Jacob's well, it's called in John 4. Then we're going to look at Genesis 26 where Isaac is redigging the wells of his father. We'll talk about that also. Now I was trying to come up with, I'm kind of conscious to the fact that we got a lot of young people in our church and, and, you know, and, and we got people that they, they're kind of of an expository background, some of our older people. So for a subtitle, you'll notice on your sermon notes there's just a big space there. You can write your own subtitle. If you are uh, expositorily minded, you might want to put down this as a subtitle. Well, a deep subject. <laughs> Amen? Now if you're a hipster, I got one for you. Are you ready for this? Took me a while to come up with this. I'm sure this is what Isaac said to his sons. When they were going to dig, they said, can you dig it? <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I told my wife, I said, <laughs> I said, I've come up with the perfect title for our young people. They're going to love this. Can you dig it? She looked at me and she said, this Lady Gail I'm talking about now. She said, she said, that's not hipster, that's hippie. <laughs> she said, you're not in the 70s day. That's what she said to me. Can you believe that? need to pray for your pastor's wife. It's not hipster, that's hippie. I'm sorry. Anyway, that's as close as I can come. John chapter 4. Would you look there with me? John chapter 4. We're going to do a little bit of reading. Beginning in verse number 3. And again, many of you are probably familiar with it. But let me show it to you. And then we'll jump over to Genesis 26. Okay, let me refresh your memory. Beginning verse 3. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. By the way, archaeologists are not real sure where Sychar is. It doesn't exist anymore. They know the region of it, but they believe they have found Jacob's well. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But it was near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour would have been, and again, this is debatable depending on who you read, but about noonday. So he's been traveling a little while. It's hot out. And so he sits down. And, and uh, uh, then the Bible says, verse 7, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now while we're talking about generational similarities in that we have a common need that we're working toward, let me also pause for a moment and say to you 
that it spans beyond generations and it is literally for every race of mankind. The, the, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, but they both had need of the same thing, which was water. You following me? All right. Verse, verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, Give me drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Then the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Notice this statement. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Now let me pause for a moment. I want to put this in perspective for you. When Jesus is sitting at this well and he's talking to this woman, this well was dug nearly 2,000 years earlier. People are still drawing water from it today. They were drawing from it in this day. It actually sits beneath a Greek Orthodox church in the crypt area of the church. They built a church over it. Uh, I think somewhere around three, uh, three, what was it, 380 AD or something, they built a church over it. But the Greek Orthodox took it over in the 1800s, and the, the well is still there. And it's an interesting thing. So, so Jesus comes to the well. What I'm trying to say to you is, Jesus comes to the well. They're drawing water out of the well. The well is already 2,000 years old, and multiple generations have been drinking from the well. If you get that, you can go home now. We're done. No. There's, there's more application, all right? Follow with me. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Now we'll stop there in John 4. Skip over to Genesis 26 with me. And while you're doing that, let me talk to you a little bit about this common need of water. Regardless of the generation, there's one thing we all have in common. You got to have water to live. You got to have water to live. I don't care who you are. Now, a few years ago, some of us probably thought you would be uh, very silly to suggest that anybody would ever sell you a bottle of water for five bucks. <laughs> Am I right? Now, our younger generation, they don't know any different. You go to a sporting event, you buy you a bottle of water, five bucks, you buy a bottle of water. The, many of us grew up on the tap water outside the house and the water hose, didn't we? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But no, 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 you got to have that five dollar water. And some waters are more expensive than others. There's actually a luxury water from Japan under the brand name of Hello Kitty. It sells for a hundred dollars a bottle. Water. Yeah, this is not Hello Kitty. It's Nestle. All right, you say, what do you get? Well, here, here's another. Now, now, that's not the top of it. If I were to say to you that I could provide you with a bottle of Aqua di Cristallo, that's expensive just to say. If I could say I could, buy, I could provide you with a bottle of this, how much do you think you would pay? Now, now stop for a moment. Let me, let me give you a little insight as to what this water is. I am told it is a mixture of the springs of Fiji with the springs of France. And in addition to that, it actually has in it water from the glacier in Ireland. I think it is. Is it Ireland or Iceland? Let me see. Let me, let me read my notes. Iceland. That makes a difference. 
I'm also told that it comes with a little sprinkle of gold dust on the top. Now let me tell you what that bottle of water is going to cost you. $60,000. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong. I get Nestle. Why is that? 60 grand. You say, that's ridiculous, that's preposterous, and you're right, it is. But, but my point is this, that in the world that we live in, I can guarantee you something about all the bottles of water we talked about. I can guarantee this. Whether you pay five bucks for it at a sporting event, whether you pay a hundred bucks for it from Japan, or whether you go as far as that crazy thing from Fiji and everywhere else, it makes no difference. I can guarantee you that in a little while after you drink that bottle, you will be thirsty again. I can guarantee it. You will. But there is a water. According to the Lord Jesus, there is a water that he can give. It's an everlasting water that will flow up from within you. He's talking about the gift of eternal life. He's talking about salvation, the water that he can provide you with. And the cost, for us anyway, is free. It's free. Now let me put this in perspective for you. Because every generation needs physically, we need water. Spiritually, we all need the everlasting water that Jesus offers. I don't care who you are, where you're from, everybody needs to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Savior. Would you agree with me? Yes. Everybody. Everybody. So uh, Genesis 26, let's skip over there for a moment. And uh, I apologize if you have any trouble with my trying to connect these two passages, but I think it'll become clear uh, probably in an hour and a half when I'm finishing up. <laughs> Be pretty clear. I got it. Go buy water. All right, verse 12. Genesis 26, verse 12. If you're there, say, I'm there. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines did what? Envied him. Now that's an important thing. Keep in mind what they're doing now. The Philistines envied him. So uh, verse 15 says, now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you're much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. Now notice this verse, verse 18, very important verse. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Now we could keep reading, which I will do in a little while if you'll permit. I'm going to read to you the rest of the story in this, in this text. But, but for right now, let me pause a moment and say this to you. Did you catch all four of the, 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 in the generations? Did you see them? Let's start with Jacob because uh, Jacob uh, is mentioned first in John chapter 4. It's Jacob's well. But the Bible says he gave that well and that land to who? His son Joseph. So let's go now to Joseph and back up. We got his dad Jacob, we got Jacob's dad, which we just read about, Isaac, and we've got Isaac's dad, who we also just read about, Abraham. So we've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, four generations. Now here's what we understand. Those four generations all thought it was very important to have water available, water for them, for their children, and for their livestock. They understood that without water, a common need, you could not survive. 
I find it interesting what we find here in Genesis chapter 26 about Isaac. The Bible says he dug first the wells of his father Abraham and he called them by the name that his father had called them. Now let me back up for a moment and speak to you uh, in the way of introduction. We're building a pretty good sized porch here. But, but let, me, uh, let me talk to you about this thing of generations. We have in our church the builder generation. That's our older folks. And as you start getting younger, you find we have the, uh, the baby boomers are next on the list. Generation X, I'm going to ask you to hoop and holler when your generation is called. But uh, we got the builders and the boomers and the generation X. Then we got the generation Y, that's the millennial generation. Then we have generation Z. Now that's our young people that are with us today, uh, on up to around 21 years of age, something like that. Now what's interesting is that the CD is older than they are. <laughs> Things have changed. They've never had a life without cable. <laughs> Standing by the TV and holding your arm up with a tin foil, they don't know what that is. <laughs> When I was a kid, I was the remote. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Son, turn that channel. And it didn't take long because we only had three of them. <laughs> Amen? You get to one, you didn't like it, turn it to another. Your job was done. It didn't take very long. The idea when some of us were kids of some 400, 500 channels, that was like, what? What are you talking about? And, and, and it's, it's ridiculous to think that that's the case. So, but now, you might be surprised to know that there's already a name being suggested for the next generation. The generation that is post-Generation Z. Those are the kids that are right now in our nursery, in the, in the diapers and in the onesies, and, uh, and, and, they, and some that haven't even been born yet. All the way up to about 2025, the next generation, it's already been proposed by some sociologists that they call them, listen to this, possibly it will happen, I don't know. The names of the generations are funny, the way they develop. It really depends on how prolific the sociologist writings are at the time. But they already have a name suggested, and that is Generation Alpha. Generation Alpha. Now, why study generations at all? Well, let me tell you, one of the reasons why generations are studied, it's a marketing tool. Sociologists get together, they do all kinds of studies to find out what your tendencies are, what your likes are, what your preferences are, because then they market to you so they can sell you something. You say, what are you getting at? We are radically different, and it is increasing. Some of us haven't yet fully grasped the fact that the next generation actually is the next generation and it's some four generations behind now. We haven't quite wrapped our minds around that. We knew that we've got children over here in the nursery, but we didn't know that, didn't know that they are the forerunners of the next, next generation. How will they think? What will they like? What will they do? What is the world going to be like? It's an amazing world that we have. One young lady, uh, she got a little frustrated that uh, she's a single girl and, and all the older people of the church would always come up to her and poke her at weddings and right in the ribs, just poke her in the ribs and say, hey, you'll probably be next. She got a little aggravated, so she started doing it at funerals. <laughs> to them. Hey, you'll probably be next. Next. 
generations. Let me do this with you. For the next few minutes, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to give you three points. We're going to, we're going to deviate a little bit from them, but I'm going to give you three main steps to keeping the supply available. We're talking about eternal water predominantly. That's what we're talking about. But I want you to see what we've seen so far. We have a comparison. We have Jacob's well that uh, Joseph and his children uh, drank from. Even in Jesus' day, they were drinking from it. And still today, water can be supplied from that, uh, from that well. Then we go all the way back to Abraham. And we look at the wells that he dug and, and those that, that were stopped up. So number one, let me say this to you. First step we need to take, inspect the resource. Inspect the resource. How, what does the well look like? I mean, the well, how's it going? Can you get any water out of that thing? What, if, if the water, by the way, let me say this to you. You can dig the well, but you cannot manufacture the water. God has to give the water, and there's an interesting phrase back in Genesis 26 that we'll read in a little bit, that they found water. They don't create water, they find the water. You say, what are you trying to get at? I'm telling you that in the way of application, you don't create salvation, but you can find it. God supplies it to you, and you claim that, that he's provided for you. Jesus said, if you'll ask of me, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I'll satisfy that thirst in the soul. We, we have a situation in our world today that I might uh, just mention to you. It's no secret to you. We seem to be having an increase of, of suicide in our country. I, I don't know that I've ever seen it this way before. I, I don't know. Maybe, I was, maybe I've just been asleep for 50 years and haven't paid much attention. But uh, the truth of the matter is I've never really seen it like it is today. I think one of the reasons it's there, ladies and gentlemen, is because people can't find that which satisfies the hunger and the thirst of the soul. And the answer is Jesus. I'm telling you, the answer is Jesus. Now that doesn't mean if you have Jesus, you never deal with depression. That's not what I mean. What I'm trying to tell you is that with Jesus, there is hope and there will always be hope. And we need to gravitate toward that understanding. There's a thirst of the soul. So Jacob's well... <clears throat> they say somewhere around 200 feet deep is how it was originally dug. Can you imagine way back then in uh, about 2000 BC? I mean, it wasn't far off. Uh, Jacob moved his family into Egypt. They stayed in Egypt about 400 years. The exodus took place about 1500 BC. So we're talking about 2000 years before Jesus sat by that well. That well was dug. I don't know what kind of tools they used, but I would imagine they were very rudimentary compared to anything that we would use today, don't you? And can you imagine digging with hand tools 200 feet deep? 200 feet deep. Now today it's not that deep. It's been encroached upon over the years. But uh, John chapter 4 and verse number 12 again uh, reads, and I'll read it, uh, I read it earlier to you. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Now he's saying, hey, uh, are, are you greater? Well, the answer is yes. Jesus is greater than Jacob. And he supplies a water that is greater than the well, Jacob's well. He has that everlasting water. In Genesis chapter 33 and verse number 18, we find that Jacob comes to the land of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, the Bible says. And he came from Padan Aram and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel. Now that's believed to be the land of Shechem. Where that Greek Orthodox church is today, in a place called Tel Belada, 
is where they believe the land of Shechem was. It's only about 30 miles as the crows fly uh, from Jerusalem, but it's about 150 miles, I'm told, if you drive there. Because you, have, you can't get there straight. Uh, you got to go through all kinds of places to get to that area. But that's where the well is located. And, and it's an interesting thing. Now the Bible tells us that the wells of Abraham, so let's move from Jacob's well back to Genesis 26 for a minute. The wells of Abraham had been stopped up with earth, the Bible said. So inspect the resource. If you're going to get water out of the well, you can't do it from a well that's been stopped up. Would you agree with me? The Bible talks about various needs that, uh, well, uh, uh, the Bible talks about things that can stop up our well, which I want to list a few of those to you in a little bit. But before I do that, let me give you some, some statistics that I came across. Uh, 60 to 70 percent, depending on who you read, 60 percent of the human adult body is water. It's more than that if you live in Florida. <laughs> All the humidity. According to H.H. H. Mitchell of the Journal of Biological Chemistry, the brain and heart composed 73% water. And the lungs are about 83% water. The skin, I'm told, is about 64% water. Muscles and kidneys, some 79%. And even our bones are made up of 31% water becomes pretty obvious why we need water. Would you agree? It's a common need no matter who you are. And I want to say to you it's a common need that every generation needs Jesus Christ. Every generation needs to know Jesus is the Savior. And we need to trust Christ as our Savior. So to draw from the well becomes important. So if the well is stopped up, what do you do? Well, obviously you need to remove uh, the stoppage. There are several things that can do this. They rob us of our joy. It, it robs us of that flow of water. In John chapter 4, in verse number 14, Jesus said this, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I want you to picture that. So when you've received Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says you have within you this river that flows from you. He says it again in John chapter 7, beginning in verse 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, so if this, this is what I'm understanding. I'm understanding that, that when you get saved, then from you flows this water. So you can share Jesus with other people. Am I right? Amen, yes. But something happens to that flow sometimes. Sometimes the well gets stopped up. Like Abraham's well, or wells, plural, were stopped up. I find it interesting that in that text it says they were stopped up with earth. It is usually the things of this world that end up stopping up our well, robbing us of our joy. They become thieves of our joy and of our flow. What are they? Let me give you five of them. And this is just a, um, just a list of suggested points of debris that sometimes accumulate in our lives. Number one is worry. Fears have a way of clogging up that flow, that joy that we ought to have. Number two is unrepentant sin. The truth of the matter is if we've got stuff in our life that we haven't gotten right and haven't taken care of before God, it will clog up that well. It'll stop up that well. 
Then there's the lack of contentment. Let me liken that to the word envy that we read earlier because when you're envy, envious of someone, you want what they have and you really don't want them to have it. And that usually comes as a result of a lack of contentment in your own life. There are problems there with that. Then there's the critical spirit, closely related. Sometimes we criticize and we don't, uh, we don't even realize that we fall into a pattern where suddenly our spirit has become critical. We don't see anything good. We're not thankful. We don't stop and look at what, what God has done. We just see what he hasn't done and, and the fault in everything we tend to find. And then last of all, I think associations can cause us major problems with this thing. Sometimes we just hang out with the wrong people. Amen? And we need to learn there are times that we need to get away from some of those crowds. As a matter of fact, uh, that leads us uh, to the next point in just a moment. But first, let me read some scripture to you in relation to what I've just mentioned. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the Bible says, listen, don't, don't live your life as though you think you've got access to this well when in fact you've, you've been clogged up, you've been stopped up, there's nothing to give. If you went to the wells of Abraham after the Philistines had been there, you could not have retrieved any water nor given any to anybody else with you. You couldn't do it. Not unless you redig the well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Cretans for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. He said, Demas ha has done something. Paul said, he has left me because he loves this present world. You know, sometimes, again, we fill up that well with this present world. It's stuff in our life. From the earth itself even. Matthew 6 and verse 24. I'm going to read this to you from the, uh, the uh, New American Standard Bible. Because it makes a translation that I, I like on the word mammon. Which some people have trouble with. But uh, verse 24, Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. It says. You cannot serve God and wealth. I think the NIV and some others interpret that as money. You cannot serve God and money. Well, sometimes it is the love of money that fills up our well. And we don't even realize what's going on, but our flow is gone. We don't have the access that we once had, uh, perhaps. And you have nothing to share with anybody else because it's stopped up. Number two, as far as steps go, you want to write this down in your notes if you would, please. And that is, initiate the restoration. Initiate the restoration. What do we mean by that? Well, the very first thing that Isaac does, we read of it, he goes and digs again his father's well. Now, I want, to, I want you to follow me on this for a little bit because I think it's important we understand what's happening here. He goes and digs the well that Abraham had dug, and, and then he called them by the names that his dad had called them by. Now, we live in a world, I got to tell you, we live in a world that is increasing uh, as far as uh, a view, an anti-view toward church. There's no, there's no secret about that. 
the uh, number of people I think is 34% of our population in the United States and young people listen carefully about 34% of our population in the United States consider themselves as de-churched. I don't know if you're familiar with that term or not but a de-churched individual basically says this I have no need of church maybe I went as I was a child I was bored. That's the number one reason they give. Some 71% of them say that's the reason they don't go to church. Because church is boring. Church is boring. Now they, they haven't been to East Point. Uh, but uh, at least I don't think so. But uh, uh, church is boring. The, uh, uh, really what it amounts to is, and some who have studied the subject say that it, that it has to do with an over-mediatized world. What does that mean? It means that we have access to so much in our life and so much in our, uh, our busy minds that we have trouble sitting and listening for any period of time or not doing something that just seems uh, fantastic. I mean, why go to church when you can go to Disney? Even if it's on your phone. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying that we live in a world where there, there has been less and less what we would call need for church. And we have to be careful with this. Years ago, when some of you, the builder generation, when you were growing up, the church, as one, uh, one uh, particular observer put it, the church was the only channel in town. That's why it was so important to you and your family. That's where you went to make your friends. That's where you went to uh, have your, your contacts and your network. That's where you went to, to worship God. Life was at a little slower pace. Things have changed a lot. Amen? They've changed a lot. So I find it interesting that the, the first thing that he does uh, before he redigs the wells of his father uh, in verse 17 of Genesis 26, the Bible says, Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent. He departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar. Now, he departed from there. I'm stressing that because we said earlier that one of our problems that tend to fill our well that we got to get rid of is our associations. Sometimes we think that we can make things better without ever leaving where we are. I want you to follow me for a moment. Uh, many times when we fly to see, you know I'd work in my grandson somewhere in this. I, I really should bring up a picture for you, but I don't have it ready. I, <laughs> I should do that later. But, but when we go see my grandson and we fly and we get that little ticket, that little airline ticket, it has a couple of things on it. It has a departure time and it has an arrival time. You say, what are you saying? I've never seen one that only has an arrival time. Yeah. <laughs> and the problem is we all want to arrive, we just don't want to depart. Amen? We all want to get somewhere that's exciting and be in that level and see God do great things. We just don't necessarily want to leave where we are. Luke chapter 5, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I say that a lot, don't I? One of my favorite stories in the Bible. Luke 5, verse 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out from them and were washing their nets. I, I love this story because washing your nets is what you do when you're a fisherman and you're not fishing. Right? But you're staying busy. Can I say to you that I really believe that's the picture of most churches today? We stay busy, we're just not fishing. We're busy. 
We're just not doing the stuff it takes to bring in the fish. But we're busy. So then verse 3 says, Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. I love that. You see, Jesus will always do that to you. He'll always tell you, at least I found that to be the case in my life. Hey, I want you just to move a little. Will you just move a little? I want you to just set out a little from the land. Just a little. Now what's he getting to? Well, I think it comes next. Uh, uh, the Bible says he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. Verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a, ca for a catch. Here's the problem. If we don't move a little, we will not launch out. If we won't let God move us a little, you can forget about the launching out deal. You follow what I'm saying? You'll never experience the catch of the souls being saved for generations to come if you don't launch out a little. Move a little and then launch out into the deep. That is an important thing that we need to be mindful of. He dug the wells of his father first. Let me pause a moment and say this. I, I think what's happened in uh, uh, churchanity, can I call it that? Here's what I think has happened. I think somehow we've gotten into our minds that uh, the thing to do is to ignore the fact that Abraham dug the wells to begin with. Because if it's your grandfather's well, it's not for you. That's the mentality that somehow we've developed in our society. Well, let me explain something. For thousands of years, they went to the well at Jacob's well. And the water was still pure and sweet and wonderful. It wasn't a matter. They didn't get all caught up into who dug the well or how long the well had been there. What they were after was what the well supplied. Now follow me for a moment because let me tell you something about church. Now listen carefully. Church is not your father's church. Church is not your grandfather's church. Church was instituted by Jesus Christ. And when Jesus instituted the church, it was a well, if you will. It was a place you could go and get the living water. It was a place you could go and sit down with Jesus and learn about him. It's a place that you ought to be careful doesn't end up somehow clogged up and stuck over to the side and rendered useless. It's an important thing to hold on to. Now let me say this, there's something else that he does in this text that we need to pay attention to. You say, well it sounds to me like, preacher, what you're saying is the younger generation needs to get on board with the church. Well, I think that's probably true to a degree, but the older generation needs to get on board with new wells. Let me show it to you. I know some of you are wondering, you got a verse on that? I got it. <laughs> Genesis 26. Genesis 26, and look down in verse 19. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. Did you catch that? They found the water. That's what it's all about is finding the water. Now Isaac is digging the well. And by the way, Jacob and Esau have already been born. You can go back in the chapter before this and you can see that. Jacob and Esau have already been born. And so here's what we're understanding. Now I want you to follow me, okay? Listen carefully to what I'm getting at. When Abraham was digging a well... Isaac was right there helping. You say, how do you know that? Let's go back for a moment and look at verse 18 again, Genesis 26. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which, notice this word, they, 
which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For Jacob to dig the well later, where did he learn it from? When Isaac was busy digging wells. Abraham said to Isaac, Isaac, come here. Listen, I need you to hold this for me. We're going to dig us a well. And down here, there's some wonderful water. We're going to access this water. It's going to be good for us. It's going to be good for everybody that comes by here. We're going to do this. Isaac turns around, looks at Jacob and Esau. Hey guys, we're going to dig some wells. First, we're going to redig Papaw's wells. And then we're going to come over here and we're going to dig some new wells. And we're going to dig our own wells and want to show you how to do it. Jacob ends up on the scene. Later on, buys a piece of ground over in Shechem. It's an arid place. And he says, hey, I'm going to build a well. I'm going to dig a well right here. This is a good place for it. And I'm going to give it to my son. And then he's going to give it to his sons. And one day, unbeknowing to Jacob, the Messiah would pass by. And meet with a woman who had come for some of that common need of water. And leave having met Jesus. Number three in our steps... Invest in the revival. Invest in the revival. So after he had dug again the wells of his father, verse 19 says, Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well. And they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth. Because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us. And we shall be fruitful in the land. I love this guy. I, I picture him a little bit like I like to say the Apostle Paul was in his life. The Apostle Paul, I think, lived his life like this. He was in a room with all kinds of doors around him. And he was looking for which way to go. So he sees a door. Maybe it's Mark Bethenia, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts. So he goes over and he tries the door, only it's locked. Why? Because he said the Spirit of God would not allow him to go in there and preach the gospel. So he sees another door and it's marked Asia. So he walks over to that door and he tries the door. Notice he doesn't knock the doors down, but he's sensitive to what God is doing. And, and, and God says, no, not there either. Then... The Bible says God sent him a vision and it was a man of Macedonia so he knew exactly what he needed to do. So he goes over to the door marked Macedonia if you will. He slings it open and he finds it unlocked and open and he goes and does the things that God has for him to do. Isaac digs a well. There's controversy over the well. So he turns around and goes a little further and digs another well. There's controversy over the well. So he goes a little further and he digs another well. I love this guy, man. He just goes until he finds where God has blessed him and used what it is that he is doing. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Years ago, there was something that you could acquire known as an eight-track player. <laughs> How many of you remember those days? There was never a set number of songs on an eight-track because it had to do with length of song more so so it could range from I don't know five or six songs all the way through 18 songs I'm told but most had about 12 songs on them you pop those babies in there and as long as the tape stayed together you were pretty cool <laughs> am I right about 12 songs on average 
Can you imagine that, young people? Twelve songs. Big old boxy thing, man. Big old boxy thing. Twelve songs. An iPhone today with 256 gigabytes can hold 64,000 songs. <laughs> I didn't do the math about how many 8-track tapes you'd have to have to have 64,000 songs but I don't think they made that many I really don't I don't think so you say what are you getting at I want you to listen to what I'm about to say and young people get your Twitter out and get ready to tweet something here we go you cannot reach an iPhone world with an 8-track strategy You need a new well. And you need to keep digging wells. Because I'm going to tell you something. There is a basic need. Whether you are over in, in generation alpha. Still in the nursery. Or whether you are of the builder generation. I'm telling you the basic need of every generation. Is Jesus Christ. And we have to find a way to reach him. So I want to say to our young people. Get busy digging some wells. Because you can reach them in a way nobody else can. I want to say to our builders, there's nothing wrong with Abraham's well. There's good water there. But there's also nothing wrong with digging some new wells. There'll be generations that come behind us that we need to make sure we give them what it is that they need. And what they need is Jesus. That's what they need. That's what they need. It's very easy to get locked into, this is the way I do it, this is the way everybody ought to do it, nothing wrong with the way I do it. I don't know that Isaac used the same tools that Abraham used, maybe he did. Maybe, maybe by that time they'd invented some new, uh, new tools and he was able to employ them. I don't know. I can tell you this, that over the years, the methods may change. Hear me, well, hear, hear me, hear me, hear me, please hear me. The methods of digging the well may change, but what you're after is exactly the same. Physically, it's the water. Spiritually, it's the water of life. It's Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. It's Jesus Christ. Amen. If I can encourage you to do anything in closing, it would be this. Go grab a shovel. And get busy digging a well. Amen. Dig. People need water and people need Jesus. I'm telling you. No matter who you are and where you're from and what your generation is like. So let's work together. To reach the world, whether they're the little ones or the senior saints. Multi-generational, intergenerational, just reaching people with the common need. Let's pray.